Hello everybody, here we are again at Cornerstone Alive and we have our friends Jeff and Ning Mix with us. And we're very excited about the conversation that we've been having about relationships and what God's plan is and what God has to say about people who enter into any kind of a relationship. And in our society, usually when people come into relationship, a lot of times that means there might be a sexual side to that. So God has a lot to say about that. We're not so much getting into some of that kind of stuff today, but we are talking about what God says our roles are as men and women in those relationships that we enter into. Before we get started, do you want to pray, Tammy? Father, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you for the promises that you've given to us, and and that you are a good father, and that you lead and guide and direct us, and we just thank you for your presence here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, amen. We really want this entire podcast series to be interesting and applicable to single people too, because If you're single and you're looking for a partner, you need to listen to this podcast series because it's really, really important to understand what God has to say. I'm interested in what God has to say about my life. I want to be pleasing to him. I want to do the right thing. And ultimately, I want my life to go well. And I definitely want, when I pass from this earth, I want to be with the Lord in that place that he's designated for us. So why don't we go ahead and read the scripture? Sure. And by way of introduction, one of the central tenets in the word of God, and particularly in the New Testament, when we talk about these covenant relationships, namely marriage, and is starting with that relationship, seems to be found or located to so much information in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Our discussion today is also to center on the aspect of roles, the unique roles between the husband and the wife. So in there, we're going to see uh, elements that speak to a man and his wife. We're all going to see elements in here that pertain to God and his bride, that being the church, of course. They're interfolded in this heavenly instruction, if you will. And thirdly, in a maintenance mode, that is to tend the garden, even going back to the master designer's original plan for godly relationships, uh, there is a maintenance aspect of going back to tending the garden. So, in similarly, maintaining the original design as God had intended. So we'll start here reading in chapter 5 at verse 22, and we're reading from the Amplified Version. Right, and I also wanted to highlight that this section titled Marriage Like Christ and the Church and Ephesians 5 in general, um, as Jeff will explain a little bit later, has a lot about practical, day-to-day, how do we live our lives as Christian? And this particular part is about if you're a married couple who believe in the Lord, you know, how should you go about? So I'll start with the instruction to the wives. (laughs) Wives, be subject unto your own husbands as a service to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. But As the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to their husbands in everything, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as head of the house. Husbands, love your wives, seek the highest good for her, and surround her with a caring, unselfish love, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word of God, 
so that in turn he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy, that is to be set apart for God and blameless. Even so, husbands should and are morally obligated to love their own wives as being in a sense their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. So there's so much good stuff in here that's just amazing. And we're going to go back and talk about it. But I really hope folks are really listening to these words because the Amplified does a great job of that. And go ahead and go on. I'm sorry. For no one ever hated his own body, but instead he nourishes and protects and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined and be faithfully devoted to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery of two becoming one is great, but I am speaking with reference to the relationship of Christ and the church. However, each man among you, without exception, is to love his wife as his very own self with behavior worthy of respect and esteem, always seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness. And the wife must see to it that she respects and delights in her husband, that she notices him and prefers him and treats him with loving concern, treasuring him, honoring him, and holding him dear. Mm, that's good stuff. This is very, very important. There's so much going on here from the perspective of the church is subject to Christ, you know, so also wives should be subject to their husbands in everything, respecting their position as protector and their responsibility to God. And then husbands are given this huge task of loving their wives. And when we think of love, we think of that unconditional love of God, seeking the highest good and surrounding with care, just that moral obligation to love your own wife as you do your own body. I think, you know, a lot of times women see that verse 22 and think that means that, oh, he's going to tell me what to do and, mm -hmm. and I have to do what he says to do. And these scriptures are really about when a husband loves his wife the way Christ loves the church, good. And, you know, the same way that we trust that when God tells us things that we should do and things we shouldn't do and directions to go and his word is like a path, it's a light for us to follow, that when a husband is loving his wife like that, that that is the same kind of direction that he would be giving things out of love and concern. There's a whole, a whole thing of mutual respect and care. Mm -hmm. And you've said this in other sessions that we've discussed, this love and care and concern and nurturing. And that's what all this is. And when you think about that role the husband has to do that. It's a very big thing and vice versa for the wife. It's not just this, like you said, Tammy, this listening thing, you know, this authority thing, this submission, you submit to me, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's not that. It's not that at all. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, when we just look at day-to-day -day living, right? 
we don't really have a struggle with knowing that in any kind of an interaction, even when you're just going to the store, a grocery, pick up some things, if you go to the bank, do a banking transaction, or at work, you know, with your employer, you know that in order for you to have a successful interaction, that each one has a role to play, and that there's certain things that, you know, one person will contribute, and then it helps if you know what the expectations are. You know, what can you expect from the the other party what can they expect from you it just makes life simpler and we accept that we don't really struggle with that at all right so the concept of roles just in and of themselves it's not something strange like in day-to-day life we're fine with that and then even the concept of where those roles will kind of involve a certain authority structure or even like responsibilities or or what we would call hierarchy now hierarchy that already has a little bit of like people kind of struggle with that somewhat right but generally we accept that you know like in an office somebody has to be the boss doesn't necessarily mean that you know they're the super very best person there but they've been put in charge and usually if you have accepted that job you're willing to be under that authority as far as the job is concerned and we usually just take that as it is. It's just somehow that once we come into the portion of covenant relationship of marriage, the moment we kind of get stuck on just that one verse, mm-hmm. and especially for me as a female, <laughs> as a, a you know wife, I really did struggle with that, right? And I was like, wait, what about mm-hmm. this? And what about that? And, and all these reasons. But in everything that you read in the Bible, don't ever get hung up on one word or one verse. You have to read both the whole Bible, but also what is everything else that's around it in context? Yeah. That's where Jeff has something to say on that. Yes, and in, in terms of, a, if you will, authority structure, which we touch on that, and you mentioned hierarchy, but going back again to the master designer's original plan and design, he says, interestingly enough, in chapter 5 of Ephesians, one verse before we started reading here, uh, we started reading in verse 22, but in verse 21, our instruction is to submit to one another in the fear of God. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, that kind of turns the tables, if you will, because that's instruction for all believers that we need to consider. And that's an interesting word too. consider. Oftentimes we don't give enough consideration or consider the other person that we're interacting with. So with the instruction to submit to one another and consider their point of view or their role, things tend to work better when there is a, you know, God is the, not the author of confusion, but he's the God of order. And so there is an orderly process that unfolds. This doesn't deny equality. It just begs the issue of unique roles to carry out a function. A little digression for a moment, but an application of this that strikes very deeply home to me. Before I met Nang, before I met my wife, I was a deck officer in the Merchant Marine in, in a seafaring world. So if you consider that world for a moment, that authority structure on a ship is the master or the captain is the ultimate authority. And when things go south or things go wrong, if there might be a collision, there might be a grounding, there might be some issue. And if the captain has done all of his instructions, he might be asleep in his bunk. But ultimately, when the investigation unfolds, he is ultimately responsible. And even though he's delegated uh, the authority to the watchstanders, the deck officers, whatever, throughout the course of the day, ultimately, if anybody's head is going to roll, it's going to be the captain's. But by token of that, he's ultimately in command. 
hand. He's the one that carries out the executions or implements or establishes the order that that vessel is to operate under. So, I mean, to me, that really uh, registers the significance of how things can work beneficially if uh, authority is appropriately um, implemented. This very first point, which speaks to that in a covenant relationship that is marriage, God designed for both the husband and the wife to have specific roles. Husbands provide the primary leadership in the home. Wife is the helpmeet or suitable help and supports her husband's leadership. And I'm, I'm curious, I'm, as we're talking and as I read this, I'm like, because we've all seen this, homes that do not have husbandly leadership. The husband has either not stepped up or he has abdicated or he has been beaten down and just won't do it or is incapable of doing it, doing the leadership, leading the family in the right direction. What would you say to that? I mean, what is the, how does the other half of a relationship, the marriage relationship or engaged relationship or boyfriend, girlfriend, I mean, you know, that'd be a good you know, thing too, how do you see those signs in a developing relationship? This person is not taking leadership. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that? In, again, here I can testify. When my late wife and I married, I was not a believer. She, by her own admission, was a backsliding believer. But praise God, uh, God used her very powerfully as an instrument in his hand to draw me to him. A year or so after we got married, uh, I came to the Lord. And that was a true blessing. And there was a period of time, and we'll get into that detail later maybe, but when I finally reached out and took the hand of the Lord and started walking with him, as opposed to just treading water, if you will, for the first several years of my life of salvation, um, things changed. And my wife, who uh, had been in that world before me knew that the man, the husband, should be the spiritual leader of the home. But by default, uh, she was the one that was um, in the family of God, if you will, when we got married, and I wasn't. But there came a point in time where now we were both children of God, and I needed to step up and assume that role. And, and Tom, you kind of touched on some of those things. Some men abdicate, some men are untrained, um, some men are indifferent, or, or some men are intimidated. And there is a tension. Like anything in life, there's a tension. But tension in in and of itself is not bad. That's what tends to hold things into balance. But all I know is that when the Lord started opening my eyes, and here we go, we've got to go back to Scripture. We have to go back to the Holy Spirit promptings, if you will, the the unctions from God via the Holy Spirit to to move us along the path. And, And what I'm saying is it gets to be a delicate, even complicated dance because at some point in time, I needed to assume that that leadership role and she needed to step back and allow me to do that. And that gets dicey because now she has to trust her Lord and she has to trust that her husband is in touch with the Lord. And when you're novice or inexperienced, that's where things can be very delicate. If you don't have that, how do you get there? I think I would have recommendations to people. They might go to uh, see a pastor and talk about how, what are the steps that would help him to become a better leader. Of course, the thing that has to precede all of that is his willingness. If he's not willing, it doesn't matter. He could be trained till the cows come home and he's not going to get it. So there has to be a willingness in all of that. And then, you know, just a, a willingness to step up. And to be consistent, because some of that is based on people's personalities. You know, their if their personality is, uh, I don't know what the word is that I want to say, but if it's um, 
if they have a submissive, okay, oh yeah, well, whatever you want, that's fine. Whatever you want, that's fine. But that's not really leading. Right. That's not leading at all. I could actually speak to that in terms of my own experience. But before I mention uh, that, it makes me think about, I'm trying to make sure I remember the names correctly. Was it Nabal and uh, his wife? Um, it was Abigail. King David, Abigail, yeah. So King David comes by, right? And Nabal was kind of very surly and disrespectful. But Abigail, in her role as a helpmeet, looking out for her husband's interest, right, kind of somewhat on the sly, you know, intervened. So there's a point in time when it is necessary that a woman may have to step up and assume temporarily something of a leadership role if, you know, her family unit as a whole is being threatened. And of course, this would require that the wife is, you know, very much in touch, in tune with what God's leading is, like not not just to, like for selfish reasons, right? But then, as Jeff said, when once the husband becomes ready to step up, that she needs to recognize that and step back. So um, unfortunately, as I've mentioned before, I tend to be the negative example because early in our marriage, my husband's late husband's family had migrated so to the U.S. We were still living in the Philippines back then. And so that had really a very, very deep impact on him. I didn't even realize how much just because he's wired very differently than I'm wired and I didn't know that at the time I just thought everybody thought the way I thought so I <laughs> unfortunately didn't Tammy really, thinks that too by the way <laughs> didn't really understand him what he was going through and so he kind of closed in on himself and in a sense did not assume as much of a leadership and by virtue of my being the eldest daughter of my mother, you know, like sibling order does have a bit uh, to do with mm -hmm. this. And so I thought I needed to assume certain responsibilities and that would have been okay for a while. The thing was one, once I kind of got used to kind of being, holding the reins, uh, it was very difficult for me to step back at the point in time when the Lord actually got a hold of him, turned his life around and, you know, he was ready to assume leadership and I just didn't know how to let go and it wasn't anything I actually really did you know intentionally or consciously it was just it was there and now looking back I understand that but like you said couples in that situation if they're aware of it would be good to receive counseling um, would be good for them potentially to work with let's say something like a marriage coach which is somewhat a little bit different it's more like hey you know what kind of directions do we as a couple mm -hmm. want to set what would we like to see change in our marriage mm -hmm. and then how do we go from where we are right now to mm -hmm. where we want to get and the coach like a sports coach mm -hmm. helps them in their unique way and the things that you know work for them right i think of all the things we may talk about this might be one of the biggest because I think this is a huge issue in a lot of relationships that one or the other is now in the case of the two of us, I suppose I'm the more dominant leader. We're both firstborns. Yes, we're both firstborns <laughs> and that creates some conflict sometimes. As long as Tammy does what I want, right. there's no problem. <laughs> but that doesn't happen all the time. So we do a lot of talking mm -hmm. about goals and finances 
especially. I'm very conservative financially. I am at home. I am at the church. I really don't like to spend money willy-nilly, nor does Tammy. But we do talk about those kinds of things, and we do try to come to a mutual agreement. And if we can't, then everything stops because I usually refuse to move forward because I'm like, no, we have to come to agreement on this. In some form or fashion, there has to be some sort of an amicable compromise in order for us to move forward. And I think many relationships don't get over that. I think there's a lot of conflict because that issue trickles into everything. It will trickle into kids. Mm -hmm. It will trickle into finances. It will trickle into where are we going to eat tonight? What are we going to eat tonight? All of those things. You want to say something. I can see it on your face. (laughs) Well, Something funny. I mean, when you just said that example of what are we going to eat? Where are we going to eat? We usually neither one of us want to make the decision. I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? But when you mention money, I know that's a big problem for a lot of people. And I've heard people talking. I've heard different people make comments, maybe people who are dating or they just got married and they'll keep their finances separate. And it's kind of like, this is my money. This is Mm -hmm. her money. And that creates like a division in their goals and in what they're going to do together. So like when you were talking about making a decision to do something, we do it as a team. It's, right. it's a teamwork. It's team effort. And neither one of us would say, I don't care what you think about that. I'm going to do what I want to do. And neither one of us would say, well, I'm just going to take my money and do what I want to do with it. I don't care what that you don't want to do that because we love each other. And, mm-hmm. you know, we just we respect that. And, and I'll say in the past, if I have felt that she did something without my consultation, you know, bought something or, you know, made a decision. I mean, it upsets me very badly. And I'm, I'm a very vocal person, so pretty much she will know that <laughs> at a rather high decibel level. But I think that's really, really important. I, and that's a good thing that you bring up because that really is part of that leadership. I'm going to keep my money, you keep your money, and we're not going to, you know, that's a, protect, that's a protection device. Right. That's a lack of trust. Right. Just right. in case this doesn't work out. I'll still have all my stuff. That, so the the phrase that, that comes to my mind is self-preservation. Oh, yeah. That's a self-preservation. That's, That's good. I wasn't right. thinking of that. Yeah, and, you know, think about, it, again, the concept of the master's design. It's the two flesh become one. And so this concept of oneness is profound. It's mysterious to me. It's It's interesting. It's provocative. I know my late wife asked me when we were on the throes of marital strife, she asked me for my definition of oneness. And guess what? I don't think I answered it well. (laughs) Because I got immediate feedback. Like, you know, I knew you didn't get it, didn't understand it. You know, that's really, it's a really profound thing. It's really wonderful to consider what is oneness. And even like Tammy, as you and Tom were talking about decisions that you make, you make them, maybe, you know, the decision process may be, well, I've got this idea, you know, I'd like to do this. And then Tom might have a different approach. And, you know, you Discuss it, and then you come to a place of mutual agreement. That's a form of oneness. And that my point here is that's the most beautiful instance of intimacy. When you're that closely knit together that, you know, you can come together and the decision can be ultimately made by the husband, you know, but hopefully there's agreement. If not, my late wife always used to say to me, okay, it's on your head. 
mm-hmm. whatever the outcome was, which was mm-hmm. really intimidating, but well, it was good in a sense. Right. It's like, man, you know, it rattles you down to the depth of your bones. You better be in touch with the Lord on this. Right. So, so that speaks to a lack of trust in the decision that's being made. So in Tammy and I's world, we wouldn't move forward. We learned a long time ago that God's not in a hurry and mm-hmm. he can fix our mistakes. And we're not trying to make mistakes, but if we make a mistake... God can fix it. And we're not going to worry about that. But I feel very strongly there must be unity because we are one. And if we're going divergent ways, we are not going to be successful in what God has laid out before us. And and I'm really, (laughs) Tammy can vouch for this. I am really single focused. You And I said this to the church a couple months ago. I said, you know what? I'm not going to let anybody in this room come between me and the mission that God has given me. I will move you out of my way, period. I don't care who you are, even her. If God has told me to do something, you will have to move. You're not going to stop that. And Tammy, God bless her, she has come into agreement because she sees the fruit of that, not just in souls that have come to Jesus, but in our own life. We are blessed and we have we have clothes, we have food, we have a roof over our head. That's all that really matters, right? Uh, when it comes to this world. But thank God that agreement means something. And that leadership and that headship really means something. And there was something you had, I wanted to, to bring that out. What we've talked about so far, it basically brings it back again to hierarchy. And that hierarchy isn't just within the couple unit. It's God first, right? Mm-hmm. Always starts always with God first. Then the husband's accountability to God, then the wife supporting the husband. And if there is a point of disagreement, then the wife will trust God to bring the husband around to the right viewpoint so that that leadership, the Mm -hmm. spiritual leadership or headship of the household is preserved. Mm -hmm. And then through that, you have unity. And I would say to anyone like especially if you're a single person, before even thinking about getting into a relationship, let alone marriage, first settle in your heart that you're, you know, count the cost, that you are willing to get into oneness, Mm -hmm. not this parallel lives. It Mm -hmm. can't be just, you know, initially two people and then if there are children, there's more. But it can't be just a man and a woman living together. That's roommates, you know, mm-hmm. no, no roommates. If you're going to get into a relationship, there can't be any true relationship unless you really seek that unity and that agreement and that oneness, just as God, the triune Godhead, is one. Like there's no disagreement among the three persons of the Godhead. I think that that is really good because our society thinks, and we, we've said this in previous sessions, this try and buy that you can get into bed with somebody and that that is a determination of what the success of your relationship is going to be like. I mean, when you think about how lame it is to think that that one piece of a relationship can determine whether there's success. And that's just absolute craziness because all everything we've talked about today is so crucial to the minute-by-minute success, which Tammy said it, I think, a few minutes ago, and that is trust. And I think we said that sessions ago, that if you don't have trust, you're not going to be successful in anything. When you were talking, Ning, it made me think of something about God being the head and then the husband or the man and then the wife. A woman might be thinking, well, what am I supposed to do if he's not doing what he should be doing? Mm. 
you know, what if he's not following God and she's aware of that? Or what if he's making a decision and it's like, I don't think that's the best decision that he should make. Arguing about it isn't going to solve it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't change somebody by bad mouthing them or silence treatment them or whatever. You're not going to change the situation. So what is a woman to do? She takes that to God mm-hmm. because God is his head. And you pray about that. You take that to God. And if he does need to make a change and there is something, then let God speak to him and let him make that change or that decision because God did that and not, not you you know, pushing something in the business world or in the military world or in the law enforcement world. That's called going over your head. Absolutely. <laughs> so <laughs> when, when the wife goes over her husband's head to the father and says, Lord, look at what he's doing. He needs your help mm-hmm. instead of her chiding him. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is so important to people to be able to function in a relationship. And, and I would say that most people that uh, are, are not, I wouldn't say most, but I've counseled a lot of couples over the years, married and not married. And this is really the beginning of a lot of struggles in people's lives. It's if they do not know how to submit and trust and share in that That's a beautiful thing that God has designed, that a man and a woman come together for each other, and we are champions for each other. My wife has good ideas, not all of them, but most (laughs) of them, (laughs) but she's got a lot of good ideas and a lot of, of, and I always hate that. I always, I always hate that when she's like, for months and months, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this. And finally, I'm like, okay, we'll do it. And then it works beautifully. And she's like, <laughs> she never says, I told you so. And I'm like, don't even say it. I think this was my idea. And she's like, no, it wasn't. But it, I mean, this is it. It's this part right here. I like this where it says here, the couple are joint leaders of the family unit. You know, one of the things, like with kids, we had an agreement when we had kids, and that was, don't you tell them when your dad gets home, you're going to be in trouble. I said, you discipline them. You spank them. You ground them. I'll back you up. And then I'll decide if I need to spank them again because what they did was so bad. And she would always give them that warning. I'm going to spank you, but you might get it again because this is not going to make your father happy. That hardly ever happened. But I would always stand by her decision. Mm -hmm. But she disciplined. I I would say, did you spank him? And she'd be like, yeah. I'm like, cool. Good good for you. Did, did, did you make it hurt? And I, would, I will say this. A lot of times when the kids were being brats, and I would just, you know, would you stop that? You know, and Tammy would be, she's just sweet and kind. And I would look at her and I'm, I'm just, I'd say, just yell at him. I want you here. I want to hear you. Just yell at him. She's like, I can't do that. That's not my style. I'm like, oh, give me a break. <laughs> So the, the, uh, the, the thought that occurs to me in, in this and, um, and Tom, your question earlier about how do you instruct or how do you help somebody that's maybe doesn't understand or these roles are foreign to them. And if it's foreign to them, it's because they're acting in the natural. All the negative side of what we've talked about, you know, on the issue of submission or whatnot is uh, in the context of just human nature, if, if it's to be thought of negatively. So what do we need to do here? The church. I mean, it's, again, the institution of holy matrimony is God's institution. So we in the church, again, it's incumbent upon us. It's our privilege. It's our responsibility 
ability to lead in this kind of instruction, the sharing of the scriptures. So what do you do to help somebody along? Again, yeah, it could be counseling. We talked about that, coaching. And the point here is it doesn't come nat. If it comes naturally, it's usually not what God would have the best for us. So it's supernatural. So we have to go from the natural into the supernatural. And that's where the church comes into play. And like what we're doing right here, this podcast series, the things we're talking about in the fall to help folks in, in a relationship, understanding first and foremost, and then developing along a positive line. It's mm-hmm. it's discipleship. It's another aspect of that. And that's what we're here for. That's what the church's role should be. I think what this is, hopefully it's a teaser, so to speak, mm-hmm. for people to be like, you know what? I can do, we can do better. We can mm-hmm. have peace in our home. Right. We can have true love for each other. I think what it is, and you had something down here, Jeff, why the struggle? Yeah, we did. And we do want to talk about that. But just before we leave that into transition on, right, briefly, Ning, you want to just mention right. that? Right. So- you know, as a wife, <laughs> that really was my struggle. And I did not understand it because I was looking at it from a human perspective and I did not understand God's design of the hierarchy. When Jeff and I, before we got married, our pastor walked us through this passage mm-hmm. that we read and he clarified a lot of things for me. So when I understood that, hey, the husband's role is to be so accountable to God that if he goes wrong and doesn't love me the way that Christ loves the church very sacrificially, then then he'll be accountable to God. And that kind of allayed my fears. It helped me to trust because I had to look at it in terms of my relationship to God. Am I, as a believing Christian, able to trust God and believe that God knows what's best for me. When I look at that from that time framework, then I can trust my husband because I know he's trusting God and God will Mm -hmm. take care of him. So that's Mm -hmm. how I was able to get over this. But it's still hard. (laughs) Well, you know, in some cultures, women play a very big role in everything. And men, they go out and work. But everything else is taken care of by women. And I think this is a really good thing, especially for men, to hear I do have an active part to play Mm. in this relationship. And I'm not just supposed to sit by and do nothing. No, I've got a part to play. I've got a role to play. And I need to do it. I need to step up to it. And I think that's a very, very important thing. So as we're getting down to the wire here to wrap up today's session, one other element we want to just bring into this in terms of receive instruction from the scriptures, to receive instruction from God Almighty in his plan, uh, you know, for salvation alone and then for fellowship relationship with not only with him but with our spouses or with our fellow man with our children with our neighbors so i'm thinking now going back to genesis in the beginning in chapter three after the fall and god pronounces his judgment on adam and eve and mankind in general and the elements of the curse that come into play and in chapter three of genesis verse 16 to the woman he said i will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. A couple of notes, points there, interestingly enough, on, on that last part of that verse, it says your desire shall be for your husband. Uh, I looked up in the Hebrew that word desired occurs only to my knowledge twice in the entire Old Testament. The second place it occurs is in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7. And that reads, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Talking to uh, Cain here and Abel, the first family, one generation removed from the Garden of Eden, paradise. And so again, he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. 
but you should rule over it. So go back to chapter 3, verse 16 again. Look up the translation there in the Hebrew. The word desire means to stretch out after or a longing. Now that sounds good, but it's also a derivation from another Hebrew word in, in the Strong's. It's uh, number 7783. It's a derivation from another Hebrew word, which means to run after or over as in the idea of water which overflows. To run after or over, and I think about that in the sense that some interpreters of the scriptures say that that desire will be to overrule your husband. Part of that corruption of the natural order that God would have that's inherently instinctive or indwelt in men and women. But God's pronouncement is the man, the husband, shall rule over you. That's the right order. But there is an underlying tension that comes into play. We see that all the time, don't we? Male-female dynamics. I think that what God intended in that garden was this mutual help meet situation right. where these two people work together mm-hmm. to become, as Paul put it, heirs of the grace of life. So let me read these verses real quick. Genesis 3.16 in the New Living, and I think this is what you were saying. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And we know that's happened, right? Uh-huh. And in pain, you will give birth. Mm -hmm. And we know that's happened, right? And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So there's the contention. I want to be in control. No, you're going to listen to me. I want to be in control. No, you're going to listen to me. So there's that thing. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. And it goes on to say more. So I think this whole thing of roles, that's where we started, got messed up with the fall of Adam and Eve. They messed it up. But here's the good news. Jesus came and said, we can make this fixed again. We can make this work the way it was intended to work. And the way I believe it works the way it's supposed to, is through the Holy Spirit. So once we invite the Holy Spirit into that that relationship situation, then all is well. I mean, there, there can still be struggles and there can still be problems, but we just have to trust God and pray and counseling and go to church, you know, get involved in fellowship and watch how others relate and all that beautiful stuff. Well, we've got to finish up and we're going to close this out and I'm excited. We talked about how are we going to catch all the stuff that we've missed. Well, we're going to have a workshop. And we hope that folks can come to that workshop and participate in a lot of cool stuff that we're going to do there. Jeff, do you want to pray us out? Praise God. Hallelujah. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, that you are the God of order. You're the God of covenant relationships. You're the God of the natural, and you're the God of the supernatural. Lord, we thank you that you come down to dwell amongst us. You did with your Son, and your Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will guide us into all truth and healthy relationships, Lord. Help us to be submissive one to another. Ultimately, Lord, submissive to your heavenly authority, because we know that all your intentions are good, Father God. You are a good, good Father. So help us to draw close to you. And we're excited, yes we are, Lord, of continuing to delve into your scriptures and to share the good news of Jesus Christ in healthy, God-designed relationships. May your will be done in our lives, Heavenly Father, just as it is in heaven. In Jesus' precious name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you, and we hope to see you at church soon.